With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind MAPCO at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542. 6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. If you're a veteran and you're struggling or feel like you are leading a path towards the darkness, stop and think about those who are around you. Think about how they truly value you, how they will miss you. You are not alone. You need to talk to someone. Someone will listen to you. If you feel like you'll be a burden to someone or you don't feel like you should weigh that, put that weight on your inner surface, call the hotline at 988 and take option one. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. It's the underscore Misfit Nation. This will keep you up to date with our latest news, episodes, and of course, our great guests. All right. Our next guest is an author, consultant, educator, and psychotherapist for over 30 years in Palm Beach, Florida. As an author, she has written three books, Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Solution, which has won 25 book reviews and was on the Amazon bestseller list in codependency, addiction, and addiction and addiction. Also, Learn, Grow, Forgive, A Path to Spiritual Success, along with The Healing Moments, Seven Keys to Turn Messes into Your as a board member and a consultant, she has served to further mental health awareness as a consultant for several treatment centers and assisted with education and development at those. As an educator, she served as an adjunct faculty member at Palm Beach Community College, teaching addiction and spirituality in the education department, co-owned an outpatient addiction treatment. She has developed a chemical dependency training program at CC that has grown into a four-year degree. She was awarded an award of appreciation for contribution. She also received the Florida Governor's Award for service to the community. She is the co-owner of the Addiction Training Center in Davies, Florida, which provides classes on addiction, intervention, and disorders. As a psychotherapist, she has a concierge a psychotherapy practice in Palm Beach, Florida, 
which evolved out of her recognition that traditional treatment offered males due to inadequate models that failed to involve adequate support systems during and after treatment. Disagreement among mental health professionals and failure to teach clinic behaviors. So without further ado, let's welcome author, consultant, educator, and psychotherapist, Dr. Donna Marks, to this Fit Nation. Welcome, Donna. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. It's great to have you here, and I'm glad that we were able to get this thing going after a little hiccup, but uh, things happen, and we both know that. And I'm glad sure. we're both here, little boxes across from each other. I'm sure it's a lot warmer where you are right now. <laughs> well, right now. <laughs> it's supposed to get cold tonight, but cold for us is like hot for you. <laughs> well, it's two degrees here right now, so I'm sure it's Oh, jeez. <laughs> So Donna, if you don't mind, I know I just gave a pretty good blurb there. If you want to give us a little more of your backstory from as far back as you want to go to how we got to what we're doing now. Well, first of all, I'd like to say I'm very honored to be on your show. Uh, that's suffer uh, PTSD. And I had a stepfather who served in the Korean War, and he had terrible PTSD. <clears throat> At the time, there was no therapy for it uh, that he was aware of anyhow. And, uh, and even if there had been, the methods that they use now are so much better in terms of the intensive psychotherapy and other things like uh, certain drugs that are helping. And I'm not a drug person by any stretch of the ma imagination, but sometimes it requires some type of uh, medication to get through the process. But I, I grew up with it. I watched it. I heard him screaming in his sleep almost every night. And the way that he and he would tell me some of the war stories uh, and the way that he would cope with his uh, PTSD was to drink. And he became um, very alcoholic uh, by the time he was in his 40s. <clears throat> and he was medically discharged because he had a heart attack. And then he even drank more after that because there was no boundaries or controls. So this is something that that affects not only the vet and had a very profound effect on me. And uh, it's interesting that, you know, and I'm glad that, that you're talking about depression and suicide because I was very depressed as a teenager because um, when my stepfather drank, he was out of his mind and did all kinds of insane things that had a very profound effect on me. And I became very depressed and I also attempted suicide myself at age 15. So, you know, sometimes people see me, they go, oh, you know, you're in a Palm Beach therapist. You know, I actually came up the hard way. I was uh, to get out of that house. I, and, and when my suicide didn't work, I got married when I was 16, had a child. I was divorced when I was 18, working as a waitress, had dropped out of high school. And um, fortunately, I, you know, was able to move forward. There was a voice inside of me that I learned to listen to. And it said, you can do better than this. I, I always said, I'm never going to be an alcoholic. I'm never going to drink like that. Of course, you know, we can't pick those things uh, when they happen. I, I, I've learned so much about addiction in my journey. And I realized that I really feel that most of us are innocent victims of becoming addicted, but we're not innocent when it comes to staying addicted. Wow. That's, that's a journey you were on. I'm glad you were able to push forward. Uh, as you know, many people would not keep moving forward. They, they might hit that wall once any any hiccup hit, like married at 16, divorced at 18. That's a with a child at 18 years old and being a single mom now and having to go to work and do all that at the same time while still growing up, really. But you were able to persevere and move forward. And I applaud you for that. 
I appreciate that. It was hard at the time. There weren't all these uh, government handouts. There was no, I was not eligible for welfare because I had a job. Um, and, you know, the education, uh, fortunately, my parents helped me with my schooling in terms of paying for it. But I was independent and uh, lived lived alone and uh, with my child and you know, what came up. But, you know, there's value in that. I'm not complaining about it at all. There's great value in that. I really earned my way to uh, where I am today. And and my process is is I'm, I'm very grateful for it because I think you have to kind of go through pain to understand the severe pain that would drive someone to want to end their life. And I do understand that feeling. And I do understand how to get on the other side of it as well. That's great. Um, it's great that you learned those lessons. And you brought up a great point with your stepfather being a Korean War vet and even Vietnam War veterans. When they came back, they were a different a different breed of men at that time too. They didn't, they, one, there wasn't the right help for them when they came back. And two, many of them wouldn't go get help because they thought that would make them look, look like a weaker person. Oh, I'm having these issues. I can't tell the other guys if I'm having these issues. So a lot of them just kind of fell by the wayside and then went there to addiction to do things. And wound up, like you said, affecting you and your family and then causing your, in your head and physical and mental abuse for the rest of your life. And, and I think it happened to, many, many families along that time from Korea War to Vietnam War. And finally, now we have some sort of a semblance of help for us at this time. We kind of say thanks to the trailblazers that kind of didn't get the help, but now we get the help. Yes. And uh, at the time, a lot of drugs, uh, heroin was a big problem and people became addicted to cope with the atrocities that they were dealing with. But the biggest atrocity, as you know, was when they came back and the way that they were treated and perceived um, after giving service. And, you know, fortunately, we are no longer doing that. We are valuing our vets and honoring them as they deserve to be honored. I know everybody doesn't, but most people do. And it's so important and, and for, for uh, Americans to convey how much we care and how much we appreciate because it's easy to sit back and go, you know, I don't like this and that and the other, but are you, are you putting your life on the line for freedom of your country? Uh, you know, try that maybe just for a day and see what it's like on the field. And then you might have a, a much greater appreciation and compassion for someone who does come back and isn't the same person who returns home. Exactly. That's a good point there. A lot of us, go and come back we think we're fine <laughs> but right. our families can see it and uh, my family they knew right away when I came back from my first combat tour that something was different from me but I kept pushing off it's not me it's you it's, it's just that we were apart it's your fault and it wasn't until really when I got out in 2015 that I finally got help and realized it was me the whole time right I, I really right. and you're supposed to man up right you know right. you're supposed to be strong whether you're a man or a woman in the or, or you know whatever <laughs> You know, there's so many rules about sex or sexes now, but I'm not very good at following them. But, um, you know, you're supposed to be strong and you're not allowed to break down. And then there's a sense of shame. Uh, and then all these feelings get so jammed up and uh, so coming out sideways. And then they try to medicate. We try, we try to medicate ourselves. I wasn't a vet, but I certainly suffered PTSD. And we try to medicate and, and then we don't even know where to begin to talk about it. And then even we do talk about it, it may not be enough because you really have to get that pain out of yourself to be able to heal it. Otherwise, you're very susceptible to addiction. And that's when we were talking in the pre-show why I started the show was to try to get it off their chest, to get 
part one off, get the story out, and then get the help. Because now it's you can breathe a little bit, and you can go out there and and actually be able to breathe and talk to someone that can help you and maybe talk you through steps that can get you there without medicating you, just talking you through it. Maybe yoga, maybe some other holistic kind of th- treatment to get you out of it and make, get you back into reality. Well, the important thing is that what, no matter what you've been through, you can turn that crisis and that pain into meaning and purpose. Sometimes you can perhaps develop a career of helping other vets or helping other people with PTSD, but you shouldn't abandon your own gifts and talents because of PTSD. It can be treated. If you have a good therapist and a good treatment program, the recovery is very successful. There are people who specialize in it. And to be able to heal that psychic wound, that fracture in your sense of self and purpose, and to turn it and convert it into meaningful endeavors is very rewarding and very gratifying and very possible. Yes, it is. Uh, thankfully, I found the right um, person, right doctor to help me, and he got me back, back uh, pointed in the right direction. He fixed my compass, and I was able to move forward, and uh, I'm doing a lot better with my, my family and myself now. And you're doing exactly what I just said. You've converted all of that into your podcast and probably many other things that you do to help other people get out of that maze. I call it, you know, the maze of, of depression or, or addiction. It's all the same. I mean, we get stuck there and we can't get out or we think we can't get out. We can get out, but we have to know how. When you're in it, it's like you're in quicksand. You don't know what you're doing or how to get out. And you kind of, some people panic, but when you get that guiding light, it kind of helps out a lot. Yes. Yes. So with addiction, uh, we talked earlier about uh, why I thought you'd be valuable to the show because there's so many veterans that are addicted to something or another. And and some of it does go back to their PTSD or their mental health. I think right now in the the VA, I'm looking at the screen here, it's 80%, uh, 900,000 people that were surveyed abuse alcohol, 300,000 abuse illegal drugs, and 80,000 abuse both illegal drugs and alcohol. Those are big numbers, even in knowing the numbers of people that served. Any any number is high to me, but 900,000 is enormous. How do we first get them to realize they need the help and two, what are ways we can help them? Well, I think most people don't realize that they become dependent uh, or addicted. And if you're not sure, just look at whether or not there's consequences. Is it draining your energy? Are you not motivated? Are you, is your world getting smaller and smaller? I tell people you're in the box, you know, which is the maze. Uh, are you happy? Are you depressed? You know, alcohol and drugs, most of them depress you in the long run and they make depression much worse. So these are kinds of things, you know, is someone in your family, a loved one suffering because of your use? Are they telling you you have a problem? You know, normal drinkers and occasional, you know, pot smokers or whatever, you know, they're not hearing that kind of thing from people. They're not hearing you got a problem, you need to deal with it, or you're different when you're drinking or drugging. So this is the first step is to admit that that, that there's a problem and then be willing to do something about it. Definitely. And I think admitting, admitting you have the problem is the first step. And, uh, in any, any situation, if you have the problem, you have to admit it in order to get and realize you need the help and accept the help. Those are three keys in order to get right. free of that free of that demon. And 
Well, the problem with addiction is it literally hijacks your brain. It has such a profound effect on the frontal lobe where you're executive functioning, you know, logic, reasoning, common sense, good judgment. It literally hijacks that part of your brain. And so the thought of stopping becomes overwhelming. And then if you do stop, uh, the, the anxiety comes and, and then, you know, even more, it feels like even things are worse and you don't have your coping uh, mechanism anymore from that substance. So it, it's, it's really important to recognize that it's not your fault you got addicted. You know, things are made to be addicted. I really believe that. Whether you're talking about pills, alcohol, cigarettes, sugar, gambling, you know, it's designed to get you addicted. It's not designed to calm you down. It's designed to get you addicted. The proof of alcohol and a, and a bottle of, of booze does not need to be that high. Uh, the, you know, we know for sure that they put chemicals in cigarettes to make them more addictive. And you can just go right down the line. Anything that you're addicted to, whether it's this <laughs> or whatever, you know, money, whatever, it's designed to, to get you addicted. So once you are You've lost that executive functioning. So you have to tap into something deeper within you called honesty and your conscience. And I call that your spiritual center, you know, where you know what's right. It's just hard to, to access it. It's hard to anchor yourself to that. But once you do, then it's easy to get out of the maze. You, have, you wrote three books of the maze. I'd love to cover the, the book for the, the maze. When you were writing that, was this based off all the people that you've helped or just your studies or a combination thereof? Yeah, well, I did a lot of research when I was writing the book, and I put a lot of that research in the book. But I've worked with over 6,000 people in the past 30 years. And my own journey where I learned what did and didn't work in the recovery system. Yeah. So I'm kind of, you know, coming at treatment differently. And I'm saying, look, we need to do this different. What we're doing is getting people addicted to treatment and it's not working. People that are going in and out of facilities over and over and over again. And there's really this just this kind of move or even going down and they're getting worse. Something's not right. So I, I recognize that you you can't just stop a behavior. I believe there's one addiction. And so you stop drinking and you start something else. You stop smoking and you start eating. You know, it just keeps moving around. A lot of people go into recovery and then they, you know, get into all kinds of uh, affairs. I mean, it's just, it just never ending, that search for the next quick fix. But of course, there is no finding in the next quick fix because the answer has to be within. So you have to heal whatever wound is going on there. For vets, it's that PTSD. It could be much deeper than that. Many people I've worked with, and you have to go way back to childhood, like with me, to really get to that taproot of when did I first start feeling unworthy? When did I first ask the question, what's wrong with me? What, why is this happening to me? And when did I first get that powerful same effect myself of getting out of that state through drugs and alcohol? So once we can do that, that deal with that cause, that's part of it, but it's not enough. Treatment places are saying you got to stop and you have to get trauma therapy, but it's not enough because if you have a, a wound there, what, what are you going to do with that big empty space when the wound is gone? You feel empty. You feel like you're floating in the abyss. So what I do, which is beyond the protocol of normal treatment, is I actually teach people how to love themselves. I actually read something. You can't have joy unless you enjoy yourself. I like that. That's exactly what you just said right there. It was one of my former soldiers that wrote that. and I read that, and I know he went through a, 
he went through a roller coaster just this year. We had him on here to try to scare him straight on here. Intervention right here alive. We did with him. And wow. he's doing really well now. And he has found that joy within himself. And it's great to see that in his eyes. His, his whole life now has a glow around. So it's awesome. That's wonderful. I know I did not have that joy. I went to treatment. I went to a lot of therapy. I did a spiritual quest all over the world. And some, something was missing because I did not know how to love myself. I didn't even know what that meant because what I was taught from people who were supposed to love me was totally different than, than when people really do know how to love you and the perception of self-love that you get from that. Right. And that, that's uh, something that uh, you, until you can, like he said, until you can enjoy yourself, you can't find joy. And that, that's a whole, like you said earlier, once you heal one wound, you fill it with something else, they'll never fill up. And that high is never there, that adrenaline rush or whatever you're seeking is not there. And you have to keep fighting and fighting until you can realize that you can have enjoyment without any kind of physical attractions or attachment to something. Right. Love isn't something that we go out and get. You know, it's not something that you can drink or smoke or, or, or someone can give you. It's something that is an action word. I call it a, a, a love is an action word. It means that you behave with love toward yourself, learn how to love yourself, then you know how to interact with other people. Addiction is a disease of isolation. And we're always trying to get who's signing up for that for, for long. I mean, there are relationships that endure it. Sometimes people, especially I've seen in many, many situations here in Palm Beach where people are married a long time, one or both of the people are uh, heavy drinkers, I would say alcoholic, but highly functioning. Um, their kids are also uh, following the path without the same, you know, it's interesting, like the parents came from a generation where they had roles and they had to perform those roles. So they're still uh, highly functioning, drinking or even drugging uh, and doing a lot of other things, but they, they, they are conditioned to perform those roles. But with their kids, that is a different generation where they've been allowed to kind of be enabled. And sometimes kids 30s and 40s are still dependent on their parents, drinking and drugging. And then they develop all kinds of, uh, I, I, I feel that uh, we're not born with brain disorders. I believe that they come from, the, from mental health issues and from substance abuse issues that our brain becomes disordered as a result of mental health issues and addiction, primarily addiction issues. So, You've, you've got to, we've got to break out of the system of, of enabling people to stay ill. And I love it that you did an intervention on the show because that is love. Sitting back and saying, you know, this is magically going to change or what do I do? And then you say, well, this is what you do. Well, I can't do that. Or I can't, oh, I, oh, if I don't keep helping this child, they're, you know, they're going to die. You know, well, they're, you're killing them. <laughs> they are going to die. You're killing them. <laughs> So, so to be able to, with love, be strong and see it clearly and then advance to an intervention, it doesn't have to be a formal where you hire someone, although if you don't know how, that's probably the best way to go. But it can just be from somebody like you just said, like we did it right on the show because we loved the person, we cared about the person. And then that person found joy because they learned how to love themselves. Definitely. And in the. He had he posted online something, and then it just got me mad that he posted. So I, I said, "You're going to be on my show tonight." And he, he said, and "He's like, yes, Sergeant. Like we were still in the army, but he said, like I had to do it because you said it. No, he didn't. But you knew we wanted you here, and we want you here. We wanted you on the show, and we want you here. And he understood that. And then, like I said, he's doing great now, and it's brings joy to all of our eyes. 
Yeah, when people have been uh, in, in wars and, and kind of situations, and it's not always in a war that they suffer PTSD, sometimes people are mistreated um, and they suffer from that. But often people just feel a sense of shame and unworthiness. I know I did, and I know that most of the people that I've worked with with PTSD really feel very unworthy, like they're deficient or they're defective, or they feel so guilty about their mistakes that they have made. Sometimes big mistakes. I made some really big mistakes myself, and it's hard to get past that of like even using those mistakes to help other people because it's it, there's the one thing to feel bad about something. It's another thing to feel a deep sense of shame. And what I try to help people to understand is that shame isn't helping you. And it's definitely not helping anybody else. So let's figure out how to move through it so that you're not carrying it around anymore. Definitely. Uh, you said earlier about the rehab centers and stuff, and isolation in rehab centers. Uh, I read also the other day when I was getting ready for the first attempt at this, I read about a Chris Farley and how he, he went to uh, rehab centers, I think, three times before he finally succumbed to his addiction and, and died. He went to a place secretly in Alabama they thought he was cured and he was still running out of Saturday Night Live two blocks down in the Hell's Kitchen, scoring heroin, shooting up and then coming back. And they were they were just masking it because he was bringing in the numbers. You're bringing the numbers and you're still, like you said earlier, highly functioning. Celebrities uh, are really at high risk because look at it this way. Their brand's already been hijacked. And then there's so many people invested in them not stopping their addiction because often the pilot fish around the shark are feeding off of, of whatever that person's, you know, giving out, whether it's money or, or parties or, or, you know, drugs or, or things like that. But pro producers and, and all have a hard time seeing this. They think, oh, we, he went to treatment, he's fine, you know, oh, let's go again. And the, it, it's a very, I mean, addiction is a delusional system to begin with, but it's really delusional the more famous you get. Uh, you know, we, we can see this on TV a lot with celebrities. Uh, you know, they'll say, I don't think I have an addiction problem. And then they give you 10 symptoms, you know, like, you know, I was raised with it. My mother gave me pills and I really liked it. So it's not my fault. You know, <laughs> all of that has nothing to do with the fact that you are addicted. And so it would be really, uh, really beneficial to, again, you know, you can see how hard it is to move in there and someone and write in, in someone and say, I love you, but you got to stop this. This has to end and you need to get real help. We're not going to, you know, sometimes, like I said earlier, addiction could be, a, uh, treatment could be an addiction also. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. If you go to the same treatment facility three, four or five times, that's just another addiction. You're, you're only going to get this or this. You're not going to get out of the maze. It's just another maze. Definitely. And you're kind of just putting a Band-Aid on a small wound every time you go. If you have to go to the same place that many times, they're not doing their job. They're just collecting money. I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Right. And also, I mean, in all fairness, a lot of times people will come see me and I'll give them the steps to, to uh, heal and to be able to walk away from the addiction like any other bad relationship. And, uh, you know, they'll say, well, I don't really want to do that. Or uh, they'll say, oh, yeah, I'll do it. And then the next time we meet, did you do this? Did you do this? No, 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 I haven't had a chance, but I will. I will. I mean, somebody like that is not a candidate for success. That's like saying, did you put your shoes on? Oh, I'm, I'm getting around to it. Meanwhile, I'm walking around barefoot, you know, on nails and, and razors, you know, 
<laughs> I mean, I can't make somebody do it and neither can a treatment center, but you, I wouldn't keep, you know, ha recycling the person over and over again. Wait until you're ready. Right. Or, you know, if you're a family or an institution, you have leverage like employers, uh, particularly in any kind of industry, the more money someone makes, the more leverage the employer has to say, uh, you need to get some help and you need to be accountable once you receive that help that you are staying sober so that it's built into the recovery system that there's accountability. I think a lot of large corporations do that uh, throughout their staff now. Actually, put out things about a mental health, and are you taking a mental health break? Do you are you taking your paid time off, or are you just working through every day? Are you putting all your life into work and not living your life? And they're trying to push you to take those days off to make sure you understand you need those recharge days. You got to get away from that uh, cubicle or that office wherever you work and breathe, breathe outside. Right, work can't be the recovery program because, <laughs> like I said, you're just transferring one addiction to another all my energy into this that means i have a purpose now so you know you have to have a purpose for you not just for everyone else yes and taking time off if you're uncomfortable with that then you have to learn how to love yourself how do you learn how to enjoy quiet peaceful time and sometimes that racket going on and, and they um i call it that addictive monkey mind you know that racket going on it needs to be heard so you can journal that you can learn how to just sit with it you can learn how to talk, get in support groups. It's so important to be with other people who, who have gone through it and get that support. And then again, moving out of the box, you know, you learn how to eat healthy. Diet has a profound effect on mood. People who get depressed, either they're eating sugar and trans fats and those things are making them physically and emotionally sick or they're drinking or drugging or they're isolating and the, uh, are, they, are they not eating at all? And these things make someone feel much, much worse instead of better. So again, you're like, you're like, uh, you know, digging that hole deeper and deeper when it would be so easy to just get out of the hole and stay out. Exactly. Donna, we, we had a half hour tonight and I think we can do this in like three hours. Keep going on about this. It was great having you on here. How does someone get in contact with you if they just want, if they want help, if they want to either come to you or maybe virtual? I don't know if you do virtual as well. We're going to set, yeah, we're going to set up an online um, group therapy kind of thing. <clears throat> My book just came out last week, so we're in the process and we've been really busy on different shows and stuff, but we're going to do that. Uh, the people I see in my office in the concierge uh, practice are, I only see a few people at a time because I'm available 24 seven and it's very intensive. Sometimes we do like one or two full days just to get all that pain out and then to get recentered. <clears throat> so, um, so, but they can contact, uh, they can register at www.drdonnamarks.com. And there's a lot of blogs on there. Some of them about PTSD, depression, making it through the holidays, all kinds of things. It's free. You don't have to subscribe or anything like that. And uh, any, any services that I offer for free are available on there. So they could also email me if they have any questions. I'd love to hear from them. There's a great article on there about Veterans Day. I appreciate it. First thing that popped up on my screen when I opened it. So, oh, thank you. So, thank you for that. And, Donna, thank you for taking your time and being patient and getting this thing done today with us. Thank you so much.
Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 